Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. We are working our way right through 1 Corinthians. We're actually going to end it sometime this year. Um, so if you, have, if you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. You're welcome to look on an electronic device. About six or seven years ago, Jen and I were in a house, and the house had a, a kitchen island that the sink was in, and it was like a six-foot step to the other side. It was a really big kitchen. It was really nice. And I was helping her make some hummus. And so she's like, hey, can you help me make some hummus? And I was like, sure. So I open up the, so I get the blender out and we get everything in place. And I open up the book and I start looking at the ingredients. I'm like, okay, and I'm reading. And there was this, this, this it required, it called for six tablespoons of water. So I, well, okay. So I grab out the six tablespoons of water and I leave the blender that's at the, the back counter and I walk over to the sink and I fill up the, the tablespoon. And then I walk very slowly <laughs> over and I put the one in. And then I go to that because I do the second one. I'm like, man, this is going to be really hard. And Jen's like, hey, Brent, just take the blender off and take it over. Oh, man, I had no idea. Like, that was just so much simpler. And I think in a lot of ways that, like, even though I had all the right tools, I was using them correct, like, completely incorrectly. Like, it didn't make any sense. I was spilling water on the, the ground. I'd get there and be like, oh, there's not enough. I need to add some more. I made it, like, I think five minutes. I think Jen was watching me and not telling me before she realized I didn't know what I was doing, but, and she was probably laughing, but I think that's a lot of what the scripture is today. In a lot of ways, like many of us, today we have the tools. We have the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the, the discipleship opportunities, the gospel communities, the, the class settings. We have podcasts. We have so many different tools that are, are just readily available for us to understand what it means to live and to serve and to walk with the Lord. But so often, I think, even as Christians, especially when we talk about this wonderful chapter, the love chapter, so often we forget the, just the most basic foundational thing. And I think as, as Christians as a whole, the church in Corinth, again, where this is setted, we just came out of chapter 12, where he really lays out a number of different ways that the Holy Spirit manifests himself through us, through these different, these different workings, uncommon workings through common people or common situations, this, this way where, where God, the Holy Spirit, as he chooses, as he apportions to each individual, he shows the gifts, and these gifts were playing out, and they were meant to be played out to a way that would unite and would bring about the manifold wisdom of God displayed as the church operates within the ways that the Spirit of God gives them. And so in all these situations, this is where he's coming out. And, and last, just in chapter 12, he talked about how it's so important for us to recognize that there is no value placed that's higher on any other gift. They're all valued the same, whether they're something that's seen in the front or there's something that's very hidden. And he said that, that we're supposed to honor all of those gifts because all of those gifts, all the way that the Spirit chooses to show himself to the body of Christ, all the way that he works, he does it by his own will and by his apportion. And so we are to just submit ourselves to that and to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and let him do the working and not to, not to hold these gifts that's higher than one or the other. And it doesn't matter whether you clean in the bathrooms and no one ever knows you do it or you're standing up here and teaching. There is no more valuable way, but they're all valuable together. And then in the middle of this section jumps in this wonderful love chapter. It's, it's, it's just the weirdest of texts, in all honesty, because it's, it, there's a bunch of made-up words in it. There's not words that are really used anywhere. He takes nouns and makes them verbs and totally just changes the way that they work. 
And it's an incredibly poetic chapter. And I've done a lot of weddings, and this is a, this is a chapter that everyone's like, hey, I want to do this chapter. I want to talk about this at the wedding. And it's not that that's wrong. There's plenty of application to this chapter in a wedding. But the context of this chapter is so important. It's like that tablespoon going to the blender. It's the understanding that, hey, there's a better way to take these tools where they're married together and they work just profoundly without it being so ridiculously difficult and so contrary to what God expects of us. This section of scripture is is just an amazing section of writing. It's In fact, it's so profound that some people have tried to say that, that it doesn't even belong here. Why is it even in this section? Or it's a complete divergence of where he was. But if you look at chapter 12 in Corinthians, it says that we're talking about all of the ways that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit goes or the gifts of the Spirit. And then you come into this section and he says, we'll see in, in verse 31 a second here, that there's a better way. And then he goes right back into 14, which is talking about the gifts. So this section is really put here for a very specific purpose. And I would say, I would argue, I would argue, and this is maybe too great of an argument, you guys can push on me later, but I would argue that this one thing is the root problem to the entirety of our church today. Like this one thing is is really what it comes down to. If If you just boil down to it, the lack of understanding of what this text means for us is the biggest issue that we have as a church today. It was the biggest issue that the church in Corinth had as well. So I'm going to read real quickly. We're going to start. We're going to go back to verse 31. I didn't cover that last week intentionally. After he's talking about all these gifts, he goes into verse 31 of chapter 12. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, saying, look, it's okay. It's enjoyable. Like, desire these. Go after these higher gifts. But I will show you still a more excellent way. And what is the excellent way that he comes into? The excellent way is this text. It's the profound idea that in light of all of those manifestations of the Holy Spirit, whether it's tongues or prophecy or or helps or service or no matter what it may be, I'm still going to show you that there's a better way. There's a more profound, a higher quality of way. And that is where he's going to go into it. So with that, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 is where we'll be today. If I speak in the tongues of man and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, this chapter is primarily about living in Christian community. The whole chapters 11 through 15 or 14 are really about the order of the service, the the, the worship service. And, and it's about living in, in community in a way that glorifies God and that is by learning to treat other members of Christ's body the way that God has treated us. In every way, in everything that we do, this is what it's, it's supposed to be. It's, again, it's, it's a great wedding scripture, but it's not about weddings. In fact, it's because of the lyrical nature of this section, it's really easy for us to think that love is some abstract feeling we have to see that this is something different. This would be precisely to miss Paul's concern if we view love as a feeling. That is not what this is. 
when you talk about falling in love in your marriages or in your life, many of us, we attribute it to feelings for someone. I feel love for them. This is not what he's doing here. Love is not an idea. It's not even a motivating factor for behavior. It is behavior. To love is to act. Anything short of action is not love at all. Something we have to understand. So I say I, I love hamburgers. I'll just be honest with you. You can probably see that in me, right? It's pretty obvious. But I, lo- I love a hamburger, but I also love my wife. And I love my kids, and I love my dogs. I love it when there's not traffic. And we would hope that those would be in great order. Like, I think my wife is pretty close to hamburgers. I'll be honest. No, I'm sorry. That's not true. We have one word for love, and we use it and misuse it in a number of different ways. In the Greek, we have to understand this, and this is important. In the Greek, there are four different words for love. And you've probably, if you spent any time in the church, you've heard this. There's, there's four different ways that love can be used. And it's important for us to understand which word is being used here because if we don't, we misconstrue the point of this text. So there's, there's the love, there's eros love. This is romantic love or, or sexual love. You want to know something that's interesting. When we talk about the one way that people say when they fall in love in weddings, it's always romantic love, that shows up nowhere in the New Testament. That form of love doesn't show up anywhere in the New Testament. The other one is, is phileos or phileo, phileo or philos, close friendship or brotherly love. That's where Philadelphia comes from, right? Storgos or natural familial, familial love. This is like, this is just something that just happens in this way. None of those are the word that's used here in this text. The word is, is, is agape or agapeo, however you want to say it. it. This is a, it's really friendliness. It's, it's not that at all. It's a self-denial for the sake of another. One scholar put it this way. I just want to read it. Agape is the fourth word of love. It is the love that, that loves without changing, a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is love that even when it is rejected. It is love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves It does not love in order to receive. The word has little to do with emotion. It has much to do with self-denial for the sake of another. Most often when I say or when we say I love you, really what we mean is we, I, I, I like you, I lust you, but I really love myself. Because most of us are willing to give love in, in respect of what we're expecting back. You, you make me feel this way, so then I say I love you. That's not the word that's being used here. That's not the way it's meant to be understood. When I say I love you, many times we say I love how you make me feel. So it's very selfish. And that's not what he's talking about here. In fact, 1 John 4 through 7, 7 through 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, or anyone who does not love, does not know God, because what? Because God is love. So he sets this section, and just remember, we got to keep this, keep, don't divorce this from the context of where we are in understanding gifts and how the work of the Spirit works in, in the body of Christ. But he, he sets out this idea that, hey, love is what kind of shows this and, and binds this and helps us understand what, what value really comes from these things. It's not that it's love versus gifts. It's that gifts without love are pointless. Both are valuable. The gifts are incredibly powerful. It's not, he spent a whole chapter talking about why it's important for us to value each individual gift and the way they're, they're, they're played out. So it's not that he's saying do away with the gifts. In fact, he's doing the opposite. He's saying, no, it's the gifts with love. One of the things that, that 
always baffled me is there are a number of ways, like if someone asked you, like, well, how, do, how do I know if you are a follower of Christ? How do I know if you're, you're, you're following Jesus? And, and they, you, you'd say, oh, man, I, I go to church. Uh, I have, you know, gospel community. I, I, I prayed this confession prayer. And it's not that any of those are wrong, but the scriptures tell us how people will know we're disciples of Jesus. And what's, what, what baffles my mind is of all the ways that God could have said, here's how people will know. Here's how the world will know that you are followers of Jesus. He didn't say the, the, the way you go to church or how often or frequent, how, how serving you are, how incredible you are at social injustices. He doesn't say any of that. We, we, we get the answer for that. Jesus gives us the answer in John, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So the, the expectation is the agape love. So we are to love the way that Jesus loves us. You also are to love one another. So, hey, you, you love the way he does, but not just him, but one another. And then this is the line. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How many people will know? All. If you study the Greek, that means all, in case you're wondering, Okay. All people will know that you're my disciple, but my disciples, if you have love for one another. Guys, it seems so simple. It seems so clear that love is what binds us together. Love is what how people, the world will know that we are in place. Love is what is meant to be the driving force, the undergirding, the working of what gifts happen. It's just supposed to be saturated in love. And yet we so often make our life and our walk with Jesus about other aspects of the faith, our right theology, our good teaching, or, or we like the way our church does this. And we, we start dividing in all these different ways, the exact same way the church in Corinth was doing. I follow Paul's, or I follow Paul, or they were dividing about gifts, or they were, they were actually dividing on socioeconomic range. Like, it was just, there were divisions everywhere, and it was completely lacking love. All of these loves are there. One of the fruits of the Spirit, the very first one is what? Love. I, I don't know if you're getting the, the, the hint here, but I think the Scriptures are pretty clear that love is something that we should be doing, be living, be defined as. And so what, what God does in a brilliant way through a spirit working through the writing of the Apostle Paul here is he tells us, he creates this need, this anticipation of, okay, so, so if I do all these things, but I don't have love, then I'm nothing, nothing? That makes us want to know, okay, well, what kind of love are you talking about, God? Like, let me, help me understand this. Like, we want to know the tools. Well, he goes into that. So the first three verses, he talks about numbers of different ways. He's using hyperbole here because it's hard to envision someone being a martyr and not having love for God. Like, that's, that's a really hard thing. Or someone to have all faith, like to have all the faith in the world, but to not have any love. Like, I mean, I, I guess it's possible, but it's hard, I think it's hard to imagine someone at that level that's willing to give up every bit of their possessions, but not be a loving person or not be loved. Like, those are, those are really hard to envision, but that's where he goes. He goes through hyperbole, he says these things. So one through three says this. If I speak the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. There's a lot of just interesting stuff in that text, and I would love to go into it, but because of time, we don't. So in a couple weeks, you get to enjoy that in chapter 14, because we're spending a lot of time on that. It says, um, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, have all faith, so as to remove mountains, he goes back to what Jesus says about removing the, the demon from the boy, right? If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to leave. He, he quotes Jesus and says, if you have that kind of faith, but you don't have love, what are you? You, you have not love. I am nothing. 
I am nothing. And so he lays out all these different things. And this isn't very far from what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22, right? He says, many will come to me on that day. Did I not do this in your name? Did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? He says, away from me, I, I never knew you. So this isn't, this isn't him teaching something contrary to what Jesus says. He's just, he's just continuing what Jesus has taught already. So what are you? What is this? What does it look like? How do we live this life? And many of us today aren't jumping around saying, well, I speak in tongues, so ha-ha, there I go, and move on. But we do this with other aspects of the Spirit's manifestation. We do this with our prayer life or with our understanding of Scripture. We do this with the way that we give money or the way that we are generous with other aspects. We do this the way our, our families are. We, we idolize and place these things up and say, look at how good we're doing. And we just focus in on this area and we completely forget that the blender can literally be picked up and moved to the other side of the sink. You don't need to do it like this. You don't need to, to divorce them in that way. So he creates this need, and I'm assuming many of you are like, okay, well, let's talk about what love is. And he writes this section. It's, it's done in a chiastic structure that's really beautiful and how it does, and it's very poetic, and it's, it's profound, and he has two positives and then five negatives, and then he kind of has this one thing. He starts beginning and goes in this way. The, 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 the order is just beautiful, and it reads well, and it's very poetic, and it's very fun. The important thing to understand is there's some really interesting things about the definition of love here. And I think it's important for us to kind of go through and define a few of these and then work our way out with what I believe God wants us to do. Because if you come to this section looking for a complete definition of love, it actually leaves you wanting. There's one key aspect of missing that's missing, amazing key aspect that's missing, and that's sacrifice. Um, we see greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. That's John 15, 13. Or God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's in Romans 5, 8. So this isn't a complete definition of love, but there's, there's some defined definition that needs to happen in here, but it's happening on point. Every word he goes to isn't just a random word he picked. It's literally the way with which the Corinthian people were struggling to love. If you think about it, look at it this way. He's applying love to the messed up Corinthian church. He's showing them that, that this is why your behavior is not, not respectable, not good. This is, it's unacceptable. He says their behaviors, and he says it like this. This is how love acts. They were boasting. We see that in chapter 321. They were puffed up, puffed up even in wrongdoing, chapter 5, 1 through 2. They were unwilling to suffer long or bear all things, chapter 6, 1 through 8. They were acting rude, chapter 11, 1 through 16. They were insisting on their own way without regard uh, to others, chapter 11, 21 through 22. They were jealous and envious, chapter 12, 21 through 22. So he comes in. So these aren't just random words that are brought. He's literally speaking into the context of this is what's wrong with the church. This is what you're doing. And I would argue with us today, and I don't think anyone, I'd have to argue very long, that I think this is what's wrong with the church today too. I think this is where we, we really fall short in love. And so with that, let's, let's look at a few of these words. I'm going to kind of rip through them fairly quickly for the sake of time. I would really encourage you to go back and study these words. You can spend so much time studying this. So many really, really great things. One of the really difficult things about this section, though, is that, like I said, Paul makes up some words to, to, to kind of get his point. He takes a, a noun and makes it like an, an adverb, or he, he just kind of changes words to make his point to do things. And so that's a little bit difficult when we're studying it. And the other thing that's really, really important is that every single one of these things are, are verbs. It's an action. And you've heard this. Love is not words. Love is an action. Right? You say you love me, well, show me you love me, right? 
every single one of these, but the way it's written, like we read it, love is patient, but we, we can't actually say it from the way it was intended Greek to, to English very well because it's, it's a continuous imperative. It's a present imperative happening over and over again, and it's a verb. So love's acting patiently still doesn't work. Like you, I don't want to do English because I'm not great at it. Karen could help us with that. But either way, the point, the point is, is that the way that these words are meant to happen is it's, a, it's, it's an action. It's not just something you sit back and think. It's not an intellectual thing. It's actually a walking out, a living out, an action that happens. And so when he goes in here, he says these things, every single one of these things, it's not just a one-time thing, it's a continuous thing that's supposed to be happening over and over and over in our, again in our life. He says, love is patient. That word is, is, is enduring under hardship, long-suffering. In, in the Greek world in this day, patience was not a virtue. Just, you know, like saying someone's patient was not actually a virtue. In this day, it was, it was seen as weakness. And the very first thing he says, no, you're patient. You're going you're gonna to suffer for a long time with someone. You're going to do this in a, in a, in a beautiful way where, where you're going to endure hardship over and over again. You're going to step in that. And many of us, when it gets hard, we run. He says, no, no, love, love forbears. It sticks in. It stays put. It holds through. It's kind. This is another made-up word. It's a noun that he makes a, a verb. It, it actually means to be useful or to lift up a burden to, of someone. So when he says love is kind, it's, it's, like to, it's literally to take the burden of someone. And you've, if you've spent any time around here, you've heard me get on my high horse about being a burden to one another. I believe that God's word tells us that we are biblically commanded to be a burden to one another because the apostle Paul says bear one another's burdens. He doesn't say bear one another's burdens so they go away. He says bear one another's burdens. And one of the biggest things that we do, I would say out of pride, even though we think it's out of humility, oh, no, no, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a burden. No, but love is the ability to lift up someone else's burden. Love is kind. It steps in to take someone's burden. You can't take someone's burden unless someone's willing to actually let go of that burden. There's no way for that to happen. And so we literally, thinking we're being humble or being self-sufficient, we don't want to burden anyone. And we literally make it so this aspect of love cannot be present at all in our lives. He goes on, and then he says, then he goes into the five negatives. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not rude, it's not self-serving, and it's not resentful. Uh, most of these, again, although there's some weird definition, they're pretty common. Envy is weird because envy is used most often in a positive way of God, but it, you can, it's jealousy in a negative way. So envy is a zealous, is the way that this word be used in a positive way, but it's more than just being selfish. It's desiring evil for someone else. So it's not just being selfish. It's saying, I want, like, I actually want what them to, to, to suffer. Uh, now, Hear me on this. This is important. Even if you disagree with them, to be envious in this way is not the Christ's way of love. Even if they're your enemy, to do this is not Christ's way. So this isn't just talking about, although the context is the brothers in the church, this is something we really have to be important. I'll talk about that in a second. It says it does not boast. Um, again, it's a made-up word the way it's being used here. It's bragging about self without foundation. But, but this is a, this is a um, talking about itself in a way where you have no foundation on it all. And, and doing so in a way where you are hoping worse for someone else. It's positioning yourself. You, you see what's happening in this? All of these are about self. None of the self stuff is love. Everything that we're talking about here is, is meant to be about someone else. It's not self-serving. That one's obvious. 
Um, it's not rude. This actually could be indecent is another way this could be translated. But it's essentially the best way to understand this is it's, it's to show disrespect to another. So when you act disrespectful in your marriage, you've been rude. And that's not love. When you act disrespectful to someone else in the church because you don't value what they offer or you don't like their thinking or the process of that, really you're saying you're not happy with where they are in their sanctification journey. That's really the issue. You believe someone should be further along than where they are. Maybe that's true, but, but if they are the Lord's, God is at work in every one of us and he will complete that work. And then it says it's not resentful. This is actually a bookkeeping term, which I thought was really interesting. It's like to reconcile, like to calculate or to reckon, like to calculate in a book te- bookkeeping terms. It's usually attributed to God. That God is, we see that in Romans 5, 4, 8 and 2 Corinthians 5, 19, not keeping track of other sins. Praise God that he doesn't do that for us. Praise God he's not some counting up there keeping track of those things because in Christ we are forgiven of them all. But how many of us have a, a ledger, a bookkeeping ledger with our church community, our family, our friends, our spouses. How many of us have that ledger where it's like, oh man, I'm totally keeping records of wrong in these people. Like I'm like, just like, I'm just there. Now look, I'm not talking about being wise with someone that is, is, is abusing things. Like it's not, it's one thing to like trust someone, but like if they're acting very untrustworthy, like I understand being wise and serene, but this is a, this is a, I'm going to operate with you only in this way, no matter what. This is, I'm going to keep record of this. God says he throws our sins as far as the east is from the west. He chooses not to look on them anymore. He says, this is what love doesn't do. This is what they were doing to each other. They were doing all of these things. And then he, he goes into a negative with the positive hours. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's like he doesn't rejoice in falsehood is maybe the way it is, but, but really rejoices in truth. Or doesn't re- rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in righteousness. That's the way that this can be understood. It's, it's, it's recognizing that, that we can rejoice in, in truth, but we, but, we, but we don't rejoice in falsehood. And then he does the all things, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Again, a Greek study of, of all. It's, it's all, just in case you're wondering, okay? Bears all things is a covering or protection. I thought this was really interesting. Bears all things, really the way you can see it is, is a covering like, like uh, God is the eagles, the wings over us that we see in Psalms, or really like a, a roof over us. Love covers us. It protects us. It looks out for the well-being of another person. You don't look at someone else and say, well, that's not my problem. No, as a follower of Christ, in a loving way, you say, I will cover this person. I will protect them. I value them. I love them. It's a covering. And then he says, believes all things. This is a confidence or trust. This is, this is, this is just exactly what it says. Hopes all things. I love this one because I'm an annoying optimist, but the way that this can be understood is like maintains a level of optimism in hope, Right? So this is like a biblical reason for me to be an annoying optimist, right? Like, it hopes all things. This is, our, our hope is based on Christ who promises to complete what he began. So I'm not, I'm not hoping in Danny Pellegrini. I'm hoping in the spirit of God in Danny and Pellegrini. And I, and I, I have trust in the spirit of God in him that he will complete the work he began in him because that is a promise that God makes and God does not break his promises. And then he ends here, before we go into chapter or verse eight, he says, endures all things. This comes back to the very beginning of patience. 
It bookends it again. And this is just, a, it's, it remains, it holds out, it stands one's ground. And when you, when you look at all this, you gotta, he, he goes on from here and says that love lasts. We're going to talk about how, love long, how long love lasts, and we'll talk about that next week. But when you look at this, it's like, what's the, what's the point of all this? Well, the people in Corinth failed at, at all of these. Like, you look at this list, this is here, these words are here because not only did he get word from people coming to him, but it was just rampant in this place. The people in Corinth were messing up in all these things. They weren't patient. They weren't long-suffering. They were, they were selfish. They weren't selfless. This was going on over and over and over again. But, but do this real quickly with me. Let's just read this one more different way. I want you to see something that I think is just so, for me this week, was really, really important. I'm going to change the word love with the name of Jesus, okay? It says in, in verse 4, Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not anger, arrogant or rude. He, is not, he does not insist on its own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He, is not, he does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, Jesus never ends. When you put that in there, it doesn't change that at all, really, does it? It doesn't make it any less true. It's 100% true by putting his name in there. When we bear the name of Christian, that's little Christ, we are supposed to be like Christ. So just for fun here, let's, let's put your own name, and I'm not gonna do that to you guys, sorry. <laughs> but, but why can't we? And this is the question I kept asking myself this week. If there was an honest assessment of myself, like, you know, like, like, I mean, someone that knows you really well, maybe it's your spouse or someone in your gospel community or a really good friend or family member, like, would they say that Brent is patient? Brent is kind. Brent is not rude. Brent does not keep record of wrong. Would, would that be true? And, and my assumption is that every single one of us, if we had a, a really, really solid assessment, like honest assessment of ourselves, we would see a number of ways that that is just not true of who we are. And the annoying optimist in me believes that it's possible. <laughs> because why would it be here in the middle of this gifts, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God that will enable us and give us the strength and the ability to love like Christ loves. We're not going to do this on our own. Really, if you think about it, it's like that tablespoon of water. We have the tool. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the Scriptures teach that, that the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. Same, same power that could raise Christ from the dead. It lives inside of us. He, he takes up residence in us. We are a temple of God. We are able to walk and live and breathe and do things now for the first time ever that would bring honor and glory to God because we have the Spirit's power to do so. But many of us, instead of picking up that blender and taking it to where it makes sense, instead of clothing ourselves in love, we instead hammer in on aspects of the faith. We hammer in on theology. We hammer in on, on, on worship or distinctives or specific church, small c churches. Or we hammer in on, on our understanding of the New Testament, our understanding of the Old Testament. We, we, kind of, we kind of focus in on these little areas or social injustice or, or missions. We, we just kind of find areas that we really get excited about and we forget the whole time that all we're doing when we're doing those things, we're literally taking missions and trying to bring it over to the blender and we're doing this back and forth when he's like, no, like all of it's but good. Missions is good and, and social justice is good and theology is good and, and, and worship is good. Those are all valuable things. It's not like he's saying, hey, all you need is love and forget obedience because God 
outlines obedience as love of him. It's, we don't do away with any of these other things. They actually all go together. We just need to stop trying to separate them and just put it where it belongs, blender next to the water. Put the love where it is. Stop operating without love. God tells us all of all the ways for the world to know that we are his disciples, of all the ways he could have chose. I mean, of all the ways. I didn't tell you this at the beginning, but you know what word he uses for love one another? It's agape. So of all the ways that the, that the world is going to know that we are his disciples, it's by the way we agape one another, by the way we forbear and kind and aren't rude and don't keep record of wrongs. So often I've had people over the years, you know, all the way back in youth ministry, how do I know if, I, if, I, um, if, I love, if, if, if I'm the Lord's? He gives you an answer right here. And the only way that you will ever walk in a way even close to fulfilling even a, a fraction, one one fifteenth, one of the fifteen that are said here. The only way you'll ever do that is not by your own merit, your own strength, your own willpower. It's by the Spirit of God alone. And so it is a submission issue, like we've been saying over and over again. Stop seeking out possession of the gifts. Submit yourself to the Spirit of God. Stop trying to white-knuckle love because your, your spouse just drives you nuts. Submit to the Spirit of God and let, your, let Him help you love. Stop dividing in the church because God has given us a way to be united through his spirit, one spirit for all. My bet is, is none of us feel really good about this. The assumption is that we all are struggling or failing in one or many or most of those lists. This isn't meant to just be a kick in the face. This is a reorienting of our thought process. This is recognizing that you already have the tools. You have the blender, you have the tablespoon, you have the water. You just need to put them together. Stop separating them. Stop trying to do it the hard way. I have a, a test I want to give you guys. This is, this is really going to be a fun one. A way, that you can, a way that you can look at yourself and get a real understanding of how you love this year. I'm just going to give it to you this year, right? This is my, my moment. I'm going to put on my little pastor high horse hat for a second, okay? I don't know if you know what year it is, but it's a year of election. Do I need to say more? I cannot stand, I cannot stand how divided we are over politics. Like, I get it. Be passionate about, about government and working those things, but why in the world do we combat Christians? All the world sees is the way we don't love each other. Maybe the most loving thing you can do through this political season, be engaged, get into it, vote, do it. You have that right, that freedom, that's awesome, do it. But maybe just keep your mouth silent. Don't say anything if it can't be this kind of love. Could you just imagine for just a second, just a second, look, look at, think about it this way. It doesn't take long because the news feeds on it. The world, the darkness, people love darkness and they love to kind of, to put people together. But there isn't an issue, an issue politically that, that I, again, am all for it, dive into it. But there isn't one single issue that you and I haven't experienced professing followers of Christ on opposite ends, waylaying each other, destroying each other for their differences in views. Because they believe one side is right versus the other. And look, they may be. You notice right here it says love doesn't make sure it's right. I don't see that in here. I don't see love says, well, as long as you're right, go ahead and treat the other person like crap. I haven't found that in here yet. Guys, the world will know that we are as disciples by the way we love each other. 
This starts in your home. It starts in your gospel communities. It starts with your kids. It starts with the way you communicate on social media. This starts at your workplace. If, if the world continues to see us at each other's throats for many different things, take politics out of it. We can just put the scriptures in there and watch us get at each other's throats. If this is all the world sees, I, I'm, I'm sad because we're supposed to be the hope of the world. And God's plan of reconciling people back to him was to take the spirit of God and manifest him in us so that the common good could be built up and done. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, you hear this, you're like, oh man, I feel super, super condemned. Brent's just totally, totally hammering me. Please hear, it's not me. This is what the scriptures say. And if I have come across harsh, please come tell me. I will ask for forgiveness of that. That is not my intent. But the scriptures are really clear. It's love. It's not half love. It's not kind of love. It's not kind of patient. It's not sort of kind. A little less rude. Okay, you can be rude if you're driving on Eagle Road, but everywhere else you need to be kind. Like, it's not, it's not that. Okay, it's not that at all. It endures all things, hopes all things, believes all things. It forbears to the end. You know what's amazing? Praise God that Jesus is attributed to all these things because if he isn't, could you imagine if God wasn't patient? Man, his patience is so good for us. His patience to, to extend grace, his patience to give mercy. At times we just don't deserve it. Praise God that he endures all things. Because, man, I, I, there are many times that my stupid, sinful self is like, man, how can you endure this over and over and over again? He says, it's not based on you, Brent. It's based on Christ. We are to be loving people. The band's going to come up, and I had a lot more, but I don't have time for it. So, lucky you. We are to be marked by love. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you profess the name of Christ, if you stand here and say, I have been baptized and I love the Lord, you can't love the Lord and not love his people. It just is not possible. Scriptures call us a liar if we say that. Say, you're a liar if you love God and hate your brother. So, what do you do with this? Feel really bad, sulk for a week, and forget about it, move on. No. No, if the Spirit is convicting you right now, He doesn't do that to just make you feel bad. He does that to sanctify you and grow you. If, they're, if, you're, if you're stirring right now, if you have someone in mind, it's like, oh my goodness, I have not been loving this person. Maybe it's your spouse. Like, great. Put this scripture in your, in your marriage and call it good. No, live this. Seek repentance. Ask for forgiveness. We, we should be a relentless people. You know, the, the parallel verse of this is chapter three of Colossians. And you know what he goes in at the end of after he says all these love things? He talks about forgiveness and how love is forgiving and how we are to be forgiving like Christ forgives. If you are getting pushed on this, I want to tell you we have the prayer room back there. We have the ability for us to pray for you. People will be safe. People are willing to pray with you back there. If you are here today and you're like, I don't believe in God, but um, you're it's secretly kind of sitting with excitement, being like, this is the very issue I had with the church, is that the church seems to be more divided than the people outside the church. Then, then submit your life to Christ and, and, and love. You, you can't love the way that this is commanded without the Spirit of God. Let me just say that right now. You will not love the way that God is commanding you, what's expected of you, what you can do to show the world that you are His. You will not be able to do that without the Spirit of God. It's impossible without the Spirit of God. So submit yourself to Him. Let yourself see this. So then, if this means 
that there are hard decisions that you need to make, don't make them alone. Walk with people. Let people bear one another's burdens. Let someone come lift that burden off of you and carry it with you. Let us be kind to you, like the scriptures say. But wherever you are, don't just sit here assuming that it's okay to limp along in life and just not love. Don't just say, okay, well, I'll figure that out after I graduate college. I'll figure that out once I get married or once our kids get a little bit older because it's just too hard to be patient with my kids at the age they're at. I don't make excuses. The Spirit of God raised Christ from the dead. He can bring about love in a way that you never have seen it possible come out of you, where it's completely lack of selfish gain, which is what agape love is. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for selflessness. God, we pray that we'd be a people that are Oh, man, ferociously chasing after loving one another. A people where we could disagree and still love each other and display that love. A people where uh, we don't just fly off the handle at people. Instead, we, we are patient and kind and gentle. A people where the fruit of the Spirit is just active in us every single day. God, for, for, for the individuals that are here today that, that are, are being confronted by your Spirit, God, I pray that you'd press harder. I pray that you wouldn't let them squirm under. I pray that they would remain under, like the, the book of James says, that they would remain under those trials so that you could produce something that is far greater than anything this world has to offer. Lord, we know that you are not done with us, and I praise God that you're not done with us. I pray that we'd be people that recognize that, that you're not done with everyone and that we need to forbear more, that we need to recognize that you are at work and that you might be using us in their life to help them grow in forbearance, in, in love and at the same time using that to grow us in forbearance as well. But Father, I pray that this would be a year that your church shines in a way that has never shined before. Um, not void of, of opinions, we're allowed to have opinions. Not void of disagreements, we're allowed to have disagreements. But God, completely void of the lack of love in the church. Where people would look at that and say, I want to be a part of a community like that. I want to know a God that has people that follow him like that. I want to know more about him. God, I pray that that would be just, this would be the year. No matter what happens politically, no matter what happens to this world, God, ultimately we know that you are ushering in a new earth. And so we just say, come. God, if, if we can't love the way that you command of us, then come back. <laughs> just come back and finish it so that we can enjoy what it means to be in your kingdom without the brokenness and the loss and the divisiveness, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.